Father, we thank you. God, we thank you for your love. God, that never fails. God, we just thank you. Father, we pray that you would have your way. Father, I pray that your spirit would move. God, and that your that hearts would be touched, God. Father, be with Brother Lee as he brings your word. And God, I just pray that you would open our ears, that we can hear what it is that you want us to hear, God. Father, we thank you. We love you. And God, we give you praise and glory and honor. Amen. Thank you, Kyle. Appreciate it. Men, we really need you to sign up for the uh, Promise Keepers event on October the 3rd so that we can make the preparations for how much food to get and all those kind of things. So go online, crossingleader.com, and you go down there and you can navigate that and figure out where to sign up. But uh, help us prepare well for a good event, October the 3rd. Si uh, Promise Keeper Simulcast. All right, Matthew chapter 24. Matthew chapter 24. It's been fun looking at this scripture and talking about what's going to happen one day. This is going to happen in the future. This may be happening now. We're not quite sure. No one knows the hour. No one knows the time. Uh, but Jesus lets us in on some things that we can monitor, that we can look to, that helps us understand uh, the world situation before he returns. Verse 1, As Jesus was leaving the temple grounds, his disciples pointed out to him the various temple buildings, but he responded, Do you see all these buildings? I tell you the truth, they will be completely demolished. Not one stone will be left on top of another. Now, as we pointed out several times, that is an unbelievable statement to make. It'd be like saying the Texas capital is no longer going to be there or our nation's capital, even as huge as it is, is no longer going to be standing. And then in verse 3, Later Jesus sat on the Mount of Olives. His disciples came to him privately and said, Tell us when will all this happen? What sign will signal your return at the end of the world? All right. They want to know, don't they? You would want to know, wouldn't you, if you were in their, in their situation? Tell us, when will all this take place? When's that building going to be demolished? When's all this going to happen? Jesus told them, this is what they look to. This is what they need to monitor. Don't let anyone mislead you, for many will come in my name, claiming I am the Messiah. They will deceive many. So we understand that many will be deceived. Verse 6, and you will hear of wars and threats of wars, but don't panic. So there will be rumors of wars, and there will be wars. Yes, these things must take place, but the end won't follow immediately. And so there is going to be a, a great length of time between the return of Jesus and all this increasingly wars and rumors of wars and the deception Nation will go against war against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes. And if we, as we said in our message on this, many of the older manuscripts use the word and pestilences as well. And so since we're going through this virus right now, that's an interesting thing to consider and look at. In many parts of the world, they're going to have famines, earthquakes, and pestilences. 
Verse 8, but this is only the first of the birth pangs with more to come. And so we understand birth pains. We understand what takes place. Now, we as men don't understand birth pains for sure. And I'm sure that we would not be able to endure that well. But we recognize they start out slow and low in intensity. And as, as it gets closer to the time of the baby to be born, the, the pains uh, increase in both uh, intensity and in the time. And so that's how it's going to work. These things that Jesus is talking about are going to happen in more of an intensity, uh, bigger earthquakes. The wars are going to be more difficult. All those things, the pestilences and the, the famines are going to increase, and they're going to increase not only in the volume of them, but in the number of them, and it's just going to happen. And then he says in verse 9, Then you'll be arrested, persecuted, and killed. You will be hated all over the world because you are my followers. And so there's going to be a real persecution of the church. And many will turn away from me and betray and hate each other. There's going to be a problem with the church. There's going to be a problem. Towards the end of time, there's going to be lots of empty church buildings. There's going to be church buildings that would literally seat hundreds and thousands that on a Sunday will be closed. That's going to happen. And... There's going to be a problem that God's people are going to have with each other. And that's kind of an interesting thing since Jesus said that we will be known by our love. And so the very heart of what it means to be a believer is going to be attacked. And many will betray each other and hate each other. And verse 11 says, and many false prophets will appear and will deceive many people. So there's going to be lots of deception. Interesting that he lists deception before the birth pains begin. And after there's full, you know, the, the birth pains are really uh, on, there's also deception. So deception is going to be a key thing before Jesus returns. Many false prophets will appear. They're going to come in all shapes and sizes, and they're going to come in many different disguises. Many are going to teach 95% truth. Many are going to teach 98% truth, but that 1% or 2% are going to be overwhelmingly deceiving, and they're going to lead many, many people astray. We have that going on today, but we don't know if it's going on to the level that Jesus is talking about after these birth pains really are rolling along. And we see here in verse 12, sin will be rampant everywhere. Sin will be out of control everywhere, and the love of many will grow cold. Uh, man, go on Google and Google something like, where has the love gone? Or is there less love than it used to be? Or something similar to that. And, and you'll be blown away with the number of articles and journals and blogs that you will find that people write that love doesn't seem to be like it used to be. And it's a very interesting thing. And, and you know, where has love gone in the world? Where has love gone in the church? Why do we not love each other as we should and we're called on to do and then he says the one who endures to the end will be saved so he describes life is very difficult life is difficult for believers life is difficult for the church things are going to look hopeless things are going to be very fragile it's it 
obviously the world is going to be falling apart. It is the very worst of times. It's, it's a crazy time. It's a time where you, you just can't seem to catch your breath because one bad thing happens after another. Another bad thing happens and another bad thing happens. And, and people are overwhelmed with all this taking place. And then verse 14 says, and verse 14 looks like it's out of place. Verse 14 looks like you, look, you read verse 14 and you go, what? How can that be? That doesn't make sense. That doesn't add up. There's no way that you can reasonably believe that verse 14 is going to happen. Verse 14, Jesus says, the red words of Jesus says, and the good news about the kingdom will be preached throughout the whole world so that all the nations will hear it and then the end will come. How in the world can that be? How can you have the church falling apart? How can you have so much hatred taking place, so much persecution, so many world problems, famines and earthquakes and pestilences, and, and how can there be wars and rumors of wars? In the, how can there be wars and rumors of wars in the same world that God's people will rise up and there will be a movement to take the gospel to the whole world? Isn't that an amazing thing that is added or, or placed here in, in all the things that Jesus says the disciples need to look to for the return of Christ and the good news. The good news, John 3, 16, God so loved the world, he gave his only son, and whosoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. The good news, but God showed us his love. He demonstrates his love in this, that while we're still sinners, Christ died for us. How can that happen? The world is not ripe for that. The, the pavement is not there. The, the travel is not possible. It's not safe. If there's wars and rumors of wars, there's famines and earthquakes and pestilences, if, if God's people are hated around the whole world and they're arrested and they're persecuted and they're killed, there's no way in the world from a reasonable point of view, that the gospel will go to the whole world. But Jesus says it will. Jesus says it will. So, Jesus is telling us here that in the last days, the church will experience its worst of times and it will also experience its best of times. Simultaneously, the worst of times, there's going to be problems with preachers. There's going to be problems with loving one another. Love is going to grow cold. We're going to have all kinds of problems and issues. And, and the church is literally going to be falling apart. But at the same time, it is going to experience the greatest movement of all time to take the gospel to the whole world. That's an amazing thing. It's going to be the worst of times, but it's also going to be the best of times at the same time. That's something only God can do. That's something that only He can orchestrate. The fact is, 
If, if you were to get in a room the finest minds of the day, if, if I was to be able to assemble in a room five or six people, I'm thinking of people like uh, uh, the Amazon man. Uh, his name just, thank you, Jeff Bezos. Amazon's pretty crazy, isn't it? I got on Amazon this week and ordered a, a, a watch band for my watch. And they brought it the next day. <laughs> it wasn't the right size. And so I sent that back to him. They brought me another one. And that wasn't the right size. And I got another one coming tomorrow. <laughs> and they took my old one and I shipped it back. And I just go up there and hand them that little box thing. That, that Susan shows me on my, on my phone, and I walk up there, and they beep that little box thing, and they have all the information they need to put the money back in my account and send that watch band back to them. Now, that man knows how to do something. Something is right with, with, with his mind, right? Now, he may be wacko in lots of areas of life that you may know more about than I do, but he's good at something. He's good at mobilizing. He's good at figuring things out. He's good at getting people to do things. And so if you put Jeff Beavis in a room, if you put that Elon Musk guy in the same room, now, I'm really fascinated with that motor that they land. That thing goes up into space. You remember the old space shuttle? They used to lose all that. And the Apollo mission, they would lose all that stuff, right? And, and he has figured out how to catch that rocket. He, they got some drone out there in the ocean, and it's unmanned, and that, that barge or whatever things with a net, it goes out there in the ocean, and it maneuvers to the exact spot that that rocket comes down and, and catches in a net. Plus, he's got those engines that land. I saw on the video today of one of his test engines, it went 500 yards it went up in the air, he moved it across, and it landed. Now, that man knows something. And he's got that car that goes from zero to 60 in two seconds. Pretty smart, isn't he? That's amazing. So Jeff Beavis in a room, Elon Musk in a room, and, and I, I put Jimmy Johnson in there. Man can get things done. I'd have him in the room. I'd have Jimmy Johnson in there. I'd get Nolan Ryan in there because Nolan Ryan knows what he's doing. I mean, we haven't won since Nolan left. And he goes down there to the Lost Strows and they win, the Cheater Strows, and they win. But they didn't cheat because of him. And so I'd get Nolan Ryan in there and I might get Tom Landry in there. Bring him on back. Tom knows what to do. And I'd get those five men in a room and I'd say, okay, guys, now here's what I want you to do. I want you to inspire, educate, and motivate, and figure out how to do this. You get God's people to be on a movement to take the gospel to the whole world. Now, if their heart was in it, I'm assuming their heart would be in that assignment. Those five men, with all of their abilities, with all of their knowledge, with all of their achievements, I think in an hour's time would throw up the white flag and say, it can't be done. There's no way in the world we can do that, especially if they did that meeting in these end times. They would come back and they would say, wait a minute, 
These people are hated all over the world. They can't go to the whole world. They're hated. They're being arrested. They're being killed. We can't ask people to do that. There's no way in the world that's going to work out. There's too many obstacles. There's wars and rumors of wars, and you want all these people to go into all the world? It just can't be done. But that's exactly what Jesus is going to do. He is going to do more with less. It says there's going to be a big falling away. It says that there's going to be difficulty in the body. He says there's going to be much deception. And you know if people believe in the deception, they're not going to risk their life to share the gospel. And they're not going to share the gospel. He says that the gospel will go into the whole world. And so Jesus is going to rise up a group of people. It may be less than we would think we need. It, it, may, not, it may not be uh, look like a, a model organization movement, but God, through the Holy Spirit, is going to work in people from all over the world, and they are going to have their heart stirred and, and they are going to do what God assigns them to do. And if you're able to get up to 30,000 feet without knowing how all the dots connect and knowing how it works, you're going to be able to see God's people go into all the world as a movement to share the good news with people. That's an amazing thing. That's something to look to. Now, I've been in airports, been blessed to go to different airports of the world, China, Taiwan, traveling to Cambodia, Philadelphia, going to Lisbon, been to South America, different places. I, I'm, I'm yet to be in an airport that I don't see these crazy Jesus people going somewhere. Amazing thing. Was in the Gansu Airport in China, standing there, and, and it's 99.9% Chinese, of course. And we're waiting there, and we're, we're waiting for the plane. There's seven or eight of us from here, and, and there's all these really light-skinned people in the airport. And I start listening to them, and they're talking really funny. They're from the University of Wisconsin at Madison. You know that accent they've got up yonder? And I'm standing around, and I'm, I'm just looking at this and going... Chinese everywhere, and here's, looks like six or seven college students. I walked over to one of them, and, and I said, so what you doing in China? He looked at me, and he said, teaching English for the summer. I looked at him, and I said, what are you really doing here? He looked at me, and he said, excuse me? I said, I know what you're doing here. And he looked around, and he said, we're teaching English so we can share the story of Jesus. Happens all the time. Happens all the time. You can be somewhere and you see that group. You see the Australians going. You see the Koreans going. Did you know that it's estimated that right now, on the road from China to Jerusalem, there's, there's estimated, there's no way they can figure it out, but from the underground church in China, a hundred thousand Chinese are taking the gospel through all the stands, through all the Hindu, Buddhist, 
in Muslim countries, and they're taking the good news all the way to Jerusalem. That started in the 1930s. Started in the 1930s, and it lost its way when they had the revolution there in the 1949-1950 time period, but it's been reborn. And the underground church, somehow or another now, people say, well, how does that work? I have no idea. But, but the Holy Spirit is orchestrating that. If you look at the history of the church, really, 200 years ago, there was not really a movement to take the gospel to the whole world. But then William Carey believed he was a cobbler in England in the 1800s. And, and William Carey believed from his vocabulary and his way of understanding that the Lord Jesus had called him to take the gospel to the heathen. That's why they would say that. And he believed that he was supposed to take the gospel to India or to the spice trade area and share the good news so that it could spread. And it was burdening on his heart and it was moving his heart. And there was a church meeting that was taking place, an Anglican church meeting that was taking place. And he stood up and he said these words over this, I believe that the Holy Spirit is leading us to take the gospel to the whole world. And he shared what the Lord was saying to him. And one man at that meeting stood up and said, Young man, sit down. But William Carey, that shoe cobbler, that young man, he wasn't a priest, he wasn't an Anglican pastor, he wasn't a vicar, he didn't have any of those credentials. He just said that the Holy Spirit moved in his life and was calling him to take the gospel into the whole world. And that one guy, one guy stood up and, and did what he believed the Lord had called him to do, and he took the gospel to India. And he began a society, a missionary society, and for the first time, those English people began to see that that was the Great Commission, and that was their assignment. Joseph Lanfear was a businessman in, in New York City, and in the 1850s, uh, time was really difficult. The slavery issue was, was really getting to be a difficult political matter. Uh, there was abolitionists that were moving on to the stage. Uh, there was a lot of unrest in the nation. And the economy was really beginning to struggle. In the 1840s and 1830s, the economy had some real big days and some real... Um, uh, growth had taken place in the economy, but by the time the 1850s come around, uh, the businessmen were beginning to see that the trends were changing and things were really getting bad. And so he was really burdened with that. He was burdened with the, the spiritual condition of New York City. He was burdened with what he was seeing in the church, what he was seeing among his friends, what he was seeing on the streets, and, and he was just burdened. And he went to the Lord, and he says, Lord, what do you have me do? Just like William Carey did. Lord, what do you have me do? And that businessman invited four or five other businessmen to come to Wednesday afternoon, Wednesday at noon, to a prayer meeting that he wanted to have. And so he arranged it. It was going to be on a Wednesday at lunch, and he invited these four or five guys to come, and at noon he was all alone in that room. And he began to pray. And 25, 30 minutes later, those other men showed up and joined him in praying. 
The next week, they had 10 or 15 men there praying. The next week it grew. The next week it grew. In just a few weeks, there was over 100 men praying for the spiritual condition of New York City and the, and the environment that people are in. In a few months go by, there were thousands of men every single week, businessmen in New York City, praying. The result is this. After a period of time, after six months passes, after a year goes by, after 18 months go by, in New York City, on Wednesday at lunch, it was estimated that over 100,000 businessmen were gathering together to pray. And it all happened because one man, one man that went to that room at that church all by himself, and no one showed up until it, he began to pray, and 100,000 businessmen were praying. They said that they traced that revival to the salvation of men like D.L. Moody and, and other great pastors and preachers that were the result of that one guy's belief. Lord, what do you have me do? Seven really powerful words. Lord, what do you have me do? You see, no matter how things, no matter how bad things look, no matter how bad it looks like this world's going to be, no matter how difficult society is on us believers, we are never outnumbered. You may be all alone. You may be the only one. You may be the only one in your family. You may be the only one at church. You may be the only one in your class. There may come a day like that, but we are never, ever outnumbered. Because of God, because of the Holy Spirit, because of the plan that God has for us, that he's going to raise up a group of people that are going to be on a movement to take the good news to the whole world, it is never, ever hopeless. It's never going to be hopeless for the believer. It's never hopeless. You're out, you may look like you're outnumbered, but you're not outnumbered. It may look like everything is hopeless, but it's never going to be hopeless. Jesus said that he is going to build his church and the gates of hell should not prevail against it. He is going to do more with less. And I believe that we can understand through the, the condition the context of verse 14 in the rest of these things, there is always going to be a few willing to do what God desires. There's great power in just one person. One person that would just go, Lord, what do we have me do? Did you know there's a man in, in Weatherford, Texas, and he has a little moving company. And he hires homeless guys to help him do the moving. Do you know that I've gotten cards and letters from different people that he's moved? And, and it just so happened that he moved believers along the way. And, and they wrote me, a, they'd write me a letter and, and do this. And, and they sometimes would send a check and say, put this to your mission work. Put this to what the Lord's doing through your church across the world. Because that guy believes that the Lord has called him to move people for God's glory. And he does that. Did you know that we have a lady in our church that is a missionary to the refugees in Fort Worth, Texas? 
And at some point in her life, she says, Lord, what do you have me do? And, and she's like the Energizer Bunny, just always doing, always moving, and, and she's always making uh, ways to show the refugee people, the refugee population in Fort Worth, that Jesus loves them and has a plan for them. She, she treats the Muslim the same way she treats the Hindu, the same way that she treats the atheists. And she's an amazing, amazing servant of the Lord. And at some point in her life, she just had that conversation with the Lord and says, Lord, what do you have me do? And the Lord has given her the assignment to be God's representative, to take the gospel to refugees. Oftentimes, she can't speak their language. Oftentimes, she doesn't understand their culture. Oftentimes, that she's in a situation that, that it's, 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 there's, there's no reason, there's no understanding taking place, but boy, the love sure comes through. We have in our church a, a couple that are refugees. And they went through a real hard time when they were moved here when they were teenagers. And you know who I'm talking about. And, and there was a change that happened in their life. They came to know Christ. And, and they said to the Lord, Lord, what do you have me do? And, and, and they are involved back with their work there in Cambodia. I'm not using people's names so that you understand. Lord, what you have me do is for everyone who will ask that question. Lord, what do you have me do? There's a young nurse that went over overseas to do mission work. And as she was there, the Lord put on her heart uh, a desire to help uh, ladies in Africa to have dignified jobs. And she put her whole life on hold to help them. And she's been doing that faithfully for four years. And at some point in her life, she came to the place where she says, Lord, what do you have me do? And the Lord showed her, and she's walking through those doors. It hasn't always been easy. It hasn't always worked out. There's been some setbacks. There's been some real challenges along the way. But Lord, what do you have me do? Multiplies when we obey and do what the Lord's asked us to do. Lord, what do you have me do? Just one person today, if just one person here would say, Lord, what do you have me do? No telling what God might do with you. You know, we're always thinking we got to get everybody on board. We got to get everybody going down the same road. We got to get everybody moving forward. But God's way, He just wants one or two to show up. Could you be that one? Could you be the Joseph Lanfear? Could you be the moving man? Could you be the nurse? Can you be the one that rewrites another story? And just say, Lord, what do you have me do? You might be a teenager today. And if you just say, Lord, what do you have me do? You may be a senior adult. You may be a grandparent. You may be a great-grandparent. And if you would just say, Lord, what do you have me do? And whatever it is the Lord says to you, if you will do that, you'll be part of this mission to take the gospel to the whole world. You see, people can't organize that. 
We can't, we can't put things in the right places and cause that to happen. The Holy Spirit's going to do it. And, and, and it's just going to happen organically. Koreans are building churches in, in Cambodia. We're building and supporting families and, and pastors in Cambodia. The Koreans have sent many missionaries across the world. All across the world today, there are people that just ask, Lord, what do you have me do? And the gospel is spreading. Now, notice here, and the good news about the kingdom will be preached throughout the whole world so that all the nations will hear it. Doesn't say anything about converts. Doesn't say anything about converts. Doesn't say about how many are going to be saved as a result of that. We see in Revelation some signs of that. But, but here we just see that what mattered to Jesus for the disciples to hear is that the gospel will be preached throughout the whole world. That's what glorifies God. Andrew Murray said, Come, let us cast ourselves into those blessed, loving arms, and let us believe even now that our Jesus leads us to the rest of God. The rest in which we are saved from self-care, self-seeking, self-trusting, and self-loving. The rest in which we do not think of ourselves but where he who is almighty and omnipresent is always going to be with us and is always going to work within us. And let us, when we have done that, claim the promise that as we have sought first the kingdom and God's righteousness, all things shall be added unto us. Beloved, the kingdom of God is within you, and it is righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. Come, let us claim it even now in simple, childlike, humble faith. Lord, what do you have me do? Help us, Lord, to respond to that. Help us, Lord, to be part of the movement that's going to come, that may already be happening to be part of the movement that takes the gospel to the whole world, to take the good news to our Jerusalem here in Alito, here in Hudson Oaks, in the Annettas, in Parker County. However you desire each individual to do that, Lord, what do you have me do? May that question be on our heart today, and may you speak to us. And Lord, with that childlike, humble faith, help us to receive it. Lord, for those who are called to Samaria, to their Judea, to the uttermost parts of the world, we pray, God, that we will be responsive. And, Father, that we will find rest in you through the Holy Ghost. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.